Welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. On today's show, we chat with Keith Smith, founder of The Avertist and host of The Fuel podcast. In our wide-ranging conversation, we touch on the intricate and evolving role of artificial intelligence in various sectors, including podcasting, the music industry, creative agencies, and its impact on society. The discussion also delves into potential challenges posed by AI, its influence on job roles, and the need for universal income, as well as the legal implications regarding copyright laws and voice appropriation. The episode concludes with a discussion on the importance of being prepared for potential technological advancements of AI in the future and a shared connection between international podcasters. Keith Smith, or a Smith called Keith as he's known, started out life as a traveling salesman, traveling between advertising agencies trying to find one that would put up with him. Eventually, he settled on all of them, working for all the creative agencies in the UK, helping them get started on the journey to find new clients through his subscription-based growth portal, The Advertist. He's a spokesperson for the UK's creative new business sector, a speaker, journalist, and podcaster whose 40-year career has spanned film, video, TV, computer games, advertising, PR, and digital. His podcast, Fuel, has been running since 2019 and is currently in its third season. He says that he's never learned so much since he started listening and stopped talking. Maybe I should learn from him. His show features, his show features interviews with luminaries from the world of advertising, PR, marketing, and sales. You can find it at thefuelpodcast.com. Now he's building artificial intelligence into the creative agency growth model, so this should be an interesting thing to watch. Keith also received his Blue Peter badge from the BBC in 1980. Links to Keith's profile and social media will be in the show notes on our website at creativeswith.ai. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this humorous conversation with Keith. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no worries. I always like to start off and just check in with people and see how you're doing. So how how are you doing today? Well, I'm very well, considering that we postponed this. And thank you very much for bearing with me. Um, I'm doing very well because we were um, the date that we were supposed to have this podcast. I was um, hit by a derecho, which um, I don't know whether your listeners are familiar with it, but it's a kind of a, uh, a version of a tornado. But um, it's uh, straight line winds, sustained straight line winds, and it nearly blew our house away. And we were without power for nearly four days. So there we go. I've never heard that term. That's crazy. It's like a shelf, cloud shelf thing, you know. And with, what's with the straight, term? Derecho. Derecho. Yeah. Okay, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A new term for us that I guarantee you none of us knew ahead of time. <laughs> No worries. It was it, yeah. It was it, it was fine. We had a we had some scheduling fun, but it's no big deal. I, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you doing flexible. it. But um, we learned a lot of things. But um, uh, from uh, from from being without power for uh, for all that time. But uh, certainly one of the things, one of my takeaways was that you cannot podcast when you have no power. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, and I I, I think before we get started, maybe if you could just give a quick intro to the listeners on what your background is in, in a very brief way, because I'll have done an intro already anyway, but maybe just a couple minutes to to let people know sort of what it is that you do and, and what you're doing now to give a little bit of context to the conversation before we dive okay. in. I historically 
uh, when I was living in in the UK, I uh, was responsible for sales and business development for creative agencies. I went, then moved to the US with the idea of creating a uh, a business that allowed agencies to prospect for uh, new clients. And my wife um, is a, a researcher and a librarian, and she was able to put together a piece of software for us that enabled me to, to, to do that. And we sort of started selling that into agencies to allow them to, to prospect for, for, for new clients. So that was where it started from. And then after a few years, and just before the pandemic, we stumbled across the um, the podcast format and thought there was a very good way of being able to talk to people in the world of new business in, in creative agency land and find out how they prospect for new business, how they find new clients and stuff. And so that was really sort of uh, the, the start of my podcast journey. So, yeah, I mean, it's all been kind of sales driven and but but very much for agencies, creative agencies, and for creative people. I love the creative scene. I think I, I love I love working with, for, and in creative agencies. I just think it's so inspiring. Yeah, I've been working sort of in the digital marketing and agency side for quite a long time, more on the data side yeah. than the creative side, I have to say. But it is a, it's a really interesting industry. And, and as I've got more involved in podcasting and meeting more of the, the actual creative people, has been amazing as well. So I can, I can, I, I can understand where you're coming from there for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. So obviously when you and I started talking in the beginning, we, we were talking about it sort of, you know, looking at AI in the context of podcasting, but obviously you're, you will have some opinions about how that might work in the agency space and, and, and in sales and everything else. So we may touch on that later. Sure. But maybe if we start off with sort of just talking about the podcasting thing and I did get some questions together and I want to ask you this one as it's written, because I think you might appreciate it, which is, I got Keith, can you explain how you're using AI in podcast production or analysis? And has there, have there been any significant advancements in this field similar to the Bauhaus movement influence and design that may have impacted your work? <laughs> was that written by AI? <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> It sounded like it as well. Fantastic. Comparing comparing <laughs> the use of AI to Bauhaus movement. That's um that that's very, very interesting. And of course, there is no school of uh, of AI, which as there was with yeah. uh, Bauhaus. So that makes it uh, makes it that's a great question. That's that's a, a I can I can understand why you were so keen to 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 uh, to to ask that one. In terms of how I use AI. It's it's interesting because I think we're all very new to this. There's there's nobody that can say they've been. I mean, although I did work in the computer games industry in the early '90s when they were experimenting with artificial intelligence, and so I I got v exposed to it very very early. And the, you know the the idea of artificial intelligence and you know sort of machine learning I think was you know was 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 fascinating but I, I saw it I, I didn't get the I didn't get the the potential impact of it I have to admit I think the way that we're all playing with it right now is just a question we're all like children aren't we sort of with the the activity set and we're all pushing and pulling things and trying to see how it you know how it uh, how it behaves and and what benefits it brings 
the sinister part of it as well is that you know that it's learning all the time that all these millions and billions of people are trying to play with the, the technology. It's learning every time. So, I mean, that you know, that is something. But as far as the way that I use it in uh, just in general is that I think it's it's a very good – it gets over the blank page syndrome. It, it allows you yep. to interrogate it and to question it so that if you wanted to – you know, if you had a guest on that was, let's say, in, from the automotive industry, you could ask it, you know, sort of a bunch of questions to do with the automotive industry and not necessarily repeat them verbatim, but but then it would give you a starting point for asking other questions. And I think that is the the beauty of AI is that it gets us over that blank page syndrome and that we're able to kind of just use it to put some ideas down and then the humans can take over and and, and perfect it so i mean yeah i mean it, it kind of it creeps in in all different ways i mean we're all still learning so i mean i'm sure there are a bunch of ways that i'm i should be using it and i'm not but um so so yeah i, I think ger- generally just to to get me started is is, is how i uh, how i use it do you use it for any of your post-production stuff like doing transcripts or doing any of your analysis or social posts or any of that sort of thing? Not on the social post thing. I think I know there are um, there are some very good bits of software out there that are AI driven, things like Lately, which I think is a is is a, is a is a very good way of being able to chop and slice and dice a, a podcast up. But I don't do enough volume on that kind of thing, and I think if you had a consumer podcast, or if you had, if you were, a, you know, the Joe Rogans of this world, then yeah, it's absolutely perfect, you know. But for me, I'm quite happy to take, you know, four or five quotes and put them into, you know, and and do the editing myself because this is the thing. I've only just recently learned how to use the Adobe Suite. Of, of of products, so I don't want to hand it over to somebody else. I'm, I'm still enjoying, you know, the the Photoshop and you know, and being able to use Audition and use that as a as a, as a um, as a tool. So there's still very much a human kind of intervention, which I you know I, I appreciate doing. But yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of using AI to produce transcripts of the entire show, that's always handy because then that gives you a word cloud you can use. And certainly from the artwork, every piece of every podcast I do, the artwork is very much inspired by artificial intelligence. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's that's kind of that's where it, it begins and ends. So, I mean, it's, it's just like having an extra person in the office, which is a great point. And it's something that we talk about a lot on the show is that this is and this is the reason that we sort of started or I started the podcast in the beginning, mm-hmm. because I really worry that about that gradual erosion you know, because it's like you said, it's like having an assistant and it's the same for me. And like you, I, I sort of enjoy the tools myself as well. And I, I like to learn new things. So, you know, learning at Adobe Audition was a whole new world for me. And then I very quickly realized that if I was going to do this in any way, seriously, that I needed to sort of hire somebody who knows what they're doing. So, you know, the, that's one of the only things that I really spend money on is having a professional sound engineer do the final bit but i do very much enjoy doing the editing and the raw editing myself as well so you know we had a chat beforehand i'll go ahead and edit uh, edit that down and you know we'll have coughs or sneezes or noises or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. i'll go and clean that up myself and then once i have that 
then I send that off to the sound editor and I send it off to my AI tool as well at the same time. And that's where it starts to come back with the transcripts and things. But even though I talk about it and it's a concern for me, it still means the tools that I use mean that I don't have to hire someone to help me with that. So that's a part-time job that someone doesn't have because I don't need to hire someone. And it's later will be a full-time job probably that I don't have to hire someone for. And if we start multiplying that out and you start to realize that in different creative agencies and all sorts of places, and and I'll get around to Matt Smith in a minute because I think Matt had some some interesting thoughts on that from what I right, remember. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it, it, it's, I, I find that quite interesting that even though I'm conscious of it and I like to talk about it and I'm, you know, I like to put myself out there as the person who sort of, you know, flags this for everyone else that I'm doing it just like everybody else is. And there is a small bit of irony there, I think. Do you not think that there is also a, a counter argument to that in that, well, these jobs were only ever temporary anyway? You know, that, uh, and I hate to sound like, you know, some hard ass, you know, sort of um, capitalist, but uh, because believe me, I'm not. But a lot of these, you know, you go back to the, the 1950s or the 1940s, then they were all looking at the advent of photography in the world of advertising and talking about how illustrators were going to be put out of jobs because of the, you know, the fact that, that a creative director could instruct a photographer to go and take a photograph of somebody, you know, using a lipstick where before somebody would, would have illustrated that whole thing. I mean, these things happen and they are natural evolution. I had did a fascinating interview with, with a, a creative called John Caswell the other day. And he said, you know, something which I think was, was great, which was that on the contrary, it may get rid of the jobs that we think exist now, you know, that, that, that we are used to, but it's going to create a whole bunch of extra jobs on the back of it because we're all going to have to learn how to become prompt engineers. And those people that know how to handle AI for their specific task, that could be accountancy, it could be creative, it could be planning, it could be anything. If you know if you develop skills in being able to prompt to to create prompts for for ai in whatever vertical industry you happen to be in that's a skill and that is going to be a skill of the future that's a job that never existed before ai obviously <laughs> but that's a temporary job as well i think because that's going to get to the point where you're not going to need the the prompt engineers are only there at the minute to teach ai about the things that people really need to know. If we use accountancy, it's people will ask it for reports and different ways of viewing the data and stuff like that until it learns well enough. And mm -hmm. then it will just be able to provide that without people asking. I mean, I, I spoke to someone the other day about accounting specifically, and they said at first they were of the position that no, you know, account, uh, AI couldn't do this. And then they thought about it for a minute and they went, actually, it would be amazing if I had an AI tool that could do my board report and my shareholder report and all sure. that stuff for me so that I didn't have to do it. And all it needs is access. And you could see the, the wheels turning in their head and they're just like they convinced themselves in the conversation that they needed now an AI tool that would do all their accountancy reporting for them. But all of this is heavy lifting. You know, this is stuff is, that, yeah. that we don't need, you know, that, that, 
you know, we've eliminated jobs before because of machinery, because of the industrial revolution and, you know, and everything else and because of the advent of cars, you know, so I don't think those people went into knowledge work. Now we're going after the knowledge workers. Where are they going to go? The, the businesses that will be, I, my, it's my firm belief. I, I've, you know, it's quite interesting because I, um, when, since, when we first started talking about it, and, and I, I think at that point I had just watched the AI dilemma, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the Center of Humane Technology, talking to uh, Trist, Tristan Harris and Azarankin, talking about the, you know, the, the, the dangers of it. Since that date, I, I've, I've kind of immersed myself in a whole bunch of, of, of uh, interviews and programs and shows and stuff like that. Lex Friedman and um, Sam Altman talking, uh, you know, the, the CEO of uh, OpenAI, um, talking about how OpenAI and ChatGPT have, have developed. Stephen Bartlett talking um, to uh, Mo, Mo Gorda from, from Google, talking about how, how that the dangers of it. And I kind of, I took those, uh, there are pluses and minuses coming out of those, those conversations. And if you take it, you color it with, um, I've also been listening to uh, or watching Robert Reich, who is a, a professor at UC California talking about, or UC Berkeley, sorry, talking about the capitalist economy and how it's sort of prejudiced towards the, you know, the, the people, the companies that, m- that make the money. And that's a 14-week course, right? And I've been studying it, and it's just amazing because for all the arguments that everybody says, oh, well, you need to put up guardrails for AI, we need to put a pull, we need to press pull, ain't going to happen, never going to happen, all right, because there's too many too many interests outside of everybody else's interests. So we have to roll with this. We have to accept that it's coming, and we ha- we can't fight it. But the businesses, the industries, the countries that are going to be most affected are those where – industrialization has taken place where we've got factories and manpower and stuff like that. That is my firm belief. Wherever there are knowledge workers, there is still going to be a space for humans. That is, that is what I absolutely believe. We just have to perfect how we're doing our job, you know, but I think if you're, if you're working on a factory line or an assembly line, stuff like that, then absolutely your job's going to be, you know, affected by, by AI. But I think if you're in the business of relationships, that's a whole different game. Interesting. Have you seen the new Netflix special? Not that I'm promoting the Netflix special, but there's one, I think it's called Unknown Killer Robots. Oh, Killer Robots. Yeah, I watched that one as well. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm all over it. I think it's great. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And yes, though it's great to be scared of it all right it is it's always good to be scared of it but we we need to know that these things you know these things will happen somebody you know i think they they like to call it a bad actor um you know but somebody with with ill intent will get hold of this software and will start to use it for nefarious purposes but at the same time and here's the counter argument somebody with good intent is going to be developing something that will will stop that so i think there is there is a yin and a yang to this in that i think you know as much as there's good there is also as much as there is evil there is good to counteract it that's what i hope i hope so i think the weakness in the system is people of course always it's is always people. Hacking. yeah so you know i think the ai by itself is probably fairly benign but it will be the people. And like you said, you know, there will be people trying to use it for good and there will also be people trying to use it for bad. 
I spoke to some people today and I have to be really careful because it's, it's probably sensitive for their business, but there are also new tools under development, hardware and software that will increase the performance of the models and the training of the models by a factor of four or more, which is quite interesting um, as well. So the cost is going to come down. The speed's going to go up. It's mm-hmm. going to become, it's going to get faster and better as we move forward. So it's only going to get faster and better. So one of the other things that you mentioned on your LinkedIn profile, which is where I've got some of this information, is you talk about music a lot and how you know music is a big part of your life as well. So what are your thoughts on how you think AI might affect the music industry? If you've have you thought about that at all? Oh, absolutely. I was the as soon as I saw how Chat GPT was working, and as soon as I asked it to write a limerick for me, I, I said to my wife, I said, I would absolutely hate to be a, a, a music artist right now, because the way that it is able to clone, just in terms of your the the writing style and now i mean i've obviously heard i've listened as most of us have to you know the paul mccartney the 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 beatles deep fakes as well as you know plenty of others and and i think there's uh, a, a popular artist i forget who it is now but um plenty of others like you know taylor swift i think has also been been deep faked as well that yeah i mean it's going to be an absolute nightmare because you, then the, you know where does that line where 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 does that line get crossed because if i if i'm clever enough to smart enough to to be able to clone let's say i mean you know my 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 artist of choice would be david bowie so if i was able to to replicate david bowie's voice from a 15 minute piece of conversation and then get him to sing a bunch of lullabies all right is that illegal and what uh, is what uh, and then i release it and that becomes that becomes a bestseller uh, who's gonna who's gonna question that is that is that illegal and we haven't got the laws to cope with that kind of thing that's half the problem no we don't and i you've probably seen this because you're in the industry as well and i and i've talked about this on the podcast and you may have to, even talked about it on yours but the idea that spotify is going to release a tool that you can use someone else's voice to you can upload the text for an ad and then it can read the ad in a variety of different celebrity voices. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about that is that what they've said is that you'll be able to do that, but they'll pay the artist the royalty on the back end as well. So I wonder if we'll just get to a situation where you will be able to do that. You'll be able to create a song and have David Bowie's voice sing it, for example but there will be a royalty that will have to be paid to the Bowie estate like there would with any of his other songs. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's going to pan out and how they could do that or what the limits they might put on that. But it's, it's quite interesting to, it's an interesting thought experiment. And then does that extend to everybody? Does that extend to you and me as well? Are you talking about a global law then? Because that's going to need every country to sign up to it, you know, which is never going to happen. You know, I think I think yeah. we're you know we're yeah. pissing in the wind as far as that's concerned because it's never going to you're never going to have every country agreeing to one law that protects the copyright of artists. You know, you'll have you'll have North Korea and uh, and Russia cloning Taylor Swift's voice and making albums out there, and it'll be impossible to sue anyone. Yeah, it's the death of copyright. 
Yeah. So in, yeah, in a way. the answer to your question is if I was working in the music industry, I'd be deathly scared of, of, of AR right now. I think it would be a very different podcast. I mean, but because we're in the people business, yeah. it's, it's different. Yeah. You know, that makes all the difference. So would you be okay if somebody used your voice? Well, it depends what for, doesn't it? I mean, I guess the, the, the question, if they wanted to use it to, to voice an advert, then I guess, I don't know. I've, you know, I, it's not something I, I, I've ever come across before. I guess I could be offended by it or I could be, you know, a, sort of outraged that somebody has appropriated my voice. But is a voice actually copyrightable? You know, it, I mean, really, it's just a sound, isn't it? You know, so. Yeah, that's that's the big question. And um, I have a friend who works for the IP office for the British government at okay. the U.S. Embassy or at the British Embassy in Washington, D.C., and she's going to come on and actually talk about the IP issues around some of this. And I think that'll be really interesting to to get someone's sort of official thoughts on that. And voice would be one of the things that I'll ask her about. Obviously, you know, written content is is very important for people as well. And I also want to have somebody on, and I'm working on getting someone from the Alan Turing Institute to come on and talk about how the models actually work. Right. Because I think a lot of people, certainly in the creative industries, like writers and copywriters and journalists and authors and and that sort of thing, you know, we've got a couple of lawsuits that that have been filed already by authors saying, you know, they they want some sort of compensation for the models training using their content. But I think there's a presumption that the model somehow reads and stores their content, which it doesn't. All it does is it looks at the relationships between the words. And that's how anyone learns yes. is you, you look at something and you see the way the words are put on the paper and you start to regurgitate that as you get older and you learn, you know, how, how to make things sound correct. And, and you put all that together. So then you start to say, well, if, if they're going to say, well, you can't read something and then learn from it, without paying for it, then that opens up maybe all sorts of other stuff. So I, it's very complicated. It's very complicated. We're all doing that anyway. Exactly. This is, this is the crazy thing is that everything we learn is as a result of somebody else doing something. You know, so w- are we saying that all human intelligence is is under copyright and that, that we shouldn't be repeating any of it? Because then we'll all be voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> That's an int- that's an interesting jump, but okay. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how we got there, but all right. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I I shared with you, and I will share this in the show notes, um, so everybody else can see it. But I shared with you an article I think that came out today on the BBC where they were talking about DJs and uh-huh. could AI, you know, be as good as a DJ. And and my thought on that is technically yes. It could probably put together, if it listened to all the mixes that had been done before, it could probably put together quite a few really interesting mixes that if nobody knew, if you just had a person standing there looking like a DJ, but you had it all done by AI, nobody would probably know the difference. But there is, there is some, when you're in a club and you're doing it, there's some sort of weird relationship that you have with the DJ that you think that they're, they're making something that you're responding to and i'm not sure it would be the same if it was just some sort of a track playing and and there wasn't anyone there we see you're talking of of djs in the context of 
you know the the the, the modern club. I think if if you're talking about something that is going to create, um, you know, in that case, nobody nobody's interested in the person, the DJ, the person. What they're interested in is their ability to mix tracks and to put put music to, you know, that one track that sounds like another and to make them seamlessly seamlessly move from one to the other. That's that's a skill. That's as a skill, but that is all based on algorithms that's all based on mathematics basically uh, i mean that, that's re- really where that where that comes down to where you have djs that are personality driven i think a lot of the you know you listen to any rate you know fm radio station on on in uh, in your car and you've got vacuous people just playing the same 12 tracks all day you know, and that there is very little personality there, but there is always room for, you know, the John Peels of this world, or you know, the Wolfman Jacks of this world, who are able to, you know, to sort of sit there and be just as engaging without playing any music, with you know, than than they are, you know, when when they're when they're they're sort of asking people to listen. So, I think there is always going to be a room for. There's always going to be room for people to, you know, to, to, for personalities to come through, and that AI is not going to be able to do that. Yes, it can serve up a, it can serve up twenty tracks that have certain beats per minute and make you do things, whatever. That's fine, but you know, the, there's there's no skill involved in that really anyway. Controversial. Well, it's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't I don't see that as a skilled yeah. job. You know, I think it, you know okay. there's an art to it. Right, but it's not the same. You're not creating anything new. You're just taking existing stuff and making. You're saying, "Well, this track sounds like that track, so I'm going to put them together." That's you know, that's just like making a sandwich. Still controversial. I love it. (laughs) I'll I'll get killed for this one. I'm going to get my podcast will get cancelled or something. You know, all my DJ friends. all 12 listeners will just shut off. Exactly. Yeah, same. <laughs> That's what I'll get. So where do you see this ending up? Like if you had a crystal ball or if you get out your crystal ball, where do you think, I guess there's two windows as well. There's sort of three to five year window and there's the maybe 10 to 15 year window. Where do you think we're going to end up in those two periods? Honestly, David, I, I, you know, I have to say, I'm, I have no idea. You know, I, I think your guess is as good as mine, and and that's as good as anybody else's. Uh, where we will be in the short term is probably more of what happened when social media came on the scene. So we're going to have lots of lots of bad things will happen, and everybody will start blaming it for things, you know, and and stuff as you know, but. Uh, if we don't blow each if we don't blow ourselves up then i think there is a future for us to work alongside the new entity that is that has become artificial intelligence and i think we'll build it into our lives in some way shape or form but that's what i'm that's it the optimistic keith says basically it will be it will be useful because it will be able to do a lot of the boring tasky stuff that we have to do, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it can take over all those things, you know, like even putting together a shopping list or, you know, can it put together, you know, can can it 
organize a TV schedule for me to watch, a TV schedule for, you know, show for me to watch, or can it plan a, a, you know, a trip for me to go to those sorts of things? I think that's great because that's stuff that I don't want to do anyway. And so, but the things I do want to do, anything involving my hands or building or, you know, creating something, then I won't, you know, I won't, be interested and somebody may come around it's like when apps came out they said well there's an app for that it's like well actually i enjoy doing that so why would i get ai to do it you know so i think there's going to be a bit of that going on so but 10 years time i got no idea if we're still if we're all still around in 10 years time i'll be absolutely delighted i don't care how with what what state what role it's taking at that stage if it stops us from blowing ourselves up then that'll be great maybe it'll distract us from blowing each other up yeah, the big shiny object thing. It'll just give us exactly. amazing things to think We'll just with. be like, oh, we're going to play with AI over here instead of getting really worked up about something else. It's like some some kind of um, pacifier for, for, for all grown adults. <laughs> I like that. I, I talked this morning. I had a phone call with a guy who is the founder of Pause AI. It's a the pause AI movement. He's been in Forbes. He's been in Wired magazine. Oh, okay. Um, they've yeah. talked to him sort of all over the place. His name's Joe. And um, he's going to be on the podcast later because I, I was really interested to kind of, I want to get, because most of the people that I talk to are kind of glass half full type people. Mm. And we all really think that ultimately, if we can somehow control it a little bit and pay attention to what's going on that that AI can actually be a really good thing for everybody and that we'll get more good out of it than we'll get bad. His position is 100% this is going to be the end of society. It's going to kill all humans and if we don't stop using it now, we're all dead. Okay, well then he's he's looking at an end of world scenario because we're not all going to stop using it. I, you know, I mean I think that's yeah. that's the problem. You can't because it's the the genie's out now. You can't stop that. I mean, I prefer to think instead of it being optimistic, then you know you sort of follow the 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 Teddy Roosevelt policy of you know walk softly and carry a big stick. I think just be cautious. You know the fact that the emails you get, the the social media posts that you see, and all that sort of thing. I think you know we we need to develop some kind of tolerance to that kind of garbage that that we get presented with every day but apart from that i think you know if that's if and he's probably an expert he's got much more much more um knowledge about this subject than i do if he if he thinks that the only solution is to stop it then we're, we're doomed you know we're, we're all doomed because that's never going to happen because there'll always be somebody else playing with it how do you how do you I'd love to ask him how he anticipates getting everyone to 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 put their guns down at the same time and then getting rid of it so that nobody ever uses it again. It's just like that's going to be impossible. Exactly. And that's the challenge and that's one of the things. So I'm I'm actually going to we're going to record next Thursday. Okay. So it, it'll be quite quite quick with him and I have a few questions and, and we're going to go through a couple of scenarios. One of the things he was quite interested in as well as the psychology behind it. And that might be a good thing to get you to sort of think about it. It's some, it's not something that I'd really particularly thought about, but the potential impact, because if, if AI starts taking over a load of the, let's call them menial tasks, the stuff mm. that kind of no one wants to do, but that 
provide a lot of jobs, frankly. If you think about the psychology of it, of somebody who, you know, maybe that's their job. They've been doing that bookkeepers or whatever for a long time, and they've been doing this job and they identify as a bookkeeper. And then somebody comes along and says, yeah, but the computer can do it way better than you. We don't need you anymore. It's the psychological impact of what that means and how people are going to react to that, which I think could be interesting as well, which is not something I've given a huge amount of thought to in the in the past. I'd be interested to what do you think? I'll put you on the spot. Well, again, I'm going to, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to reference um, Robert Reich, who who I've been I've been immersing myself in in his Berkeley lectures. The fact that AI can automate a lot of human processes and will ultimately save companies money is, you know, that's 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 catnip to CEOs and to chairmen and shareholders. Of, of all big companies, right? Because they think they're looking at their wage bill, which is traditionally what sixty percent of a company's um, overhead is the, is their the the, the wage yep. bill, and yep. they're looking to reduce that. That could then be reduced to let's say ten, you know, or twenty percent. Of course, they're going to do that. You can't stop that from happening, and that's always going to happen. So, if anyone's to blame for this, it will be the shareholders and stuff, and but the problem is you can't keep making stuff for people if they don't have any money to buy it. So there there has to be a happy medium. Either they introduce you know some kind of you know universal income or some some other way of being able to recompense people for them not having a job, but you can't keep creating stuff for consumers that don't have any money. So that's that's a you know what do they call it a zero sum game so i think at some point you have to say okay it's capable of eliminating 90% of the jobs in the in the world but we don't want to do that because nobody will have any money so that's the next question is well who's going to buy all these products then that all these companies want to um want to keep making so riddle me that one does everything then get cheaper is that how they do it well i don't know the, the more I talk about this, the more I become convinced that there's, there's one of two outcomes. One of them is the Star Trek version. And the Star Trek version is the, the technology is there to help people, but there's no money. There's no money. They never mention money once in Star Trek. It, they don't need it because everything is provided for. Energy is provided. Food, if they want food, they just have a machine that just makes food on demand. There, there, there's no need for money. People work in jobs because they enjoy working in those jobs. And it's a relatively peaceful sort of thing because there's no conflict over resources. Then there's the other version, which is Mad Max version. Uh, the dystopian. Yes. <laughs> it's the dystopian side. You know, it's the cyberpunk Mad Max version where we're all just going to end up being subservient to you know, some ruling class who are the people who control sort of the AI and the robots and things like that. And, that, you know, we're all just going to become slaves to that or it's going to be complete and utter chaos. I, I had this on a show I did where with um, another project of mine, which is called StreamAid, which is a um, sort of a, a an environmental sort of uh, project that, that I'm working on. And... I interviewed a couple of people about this and we were talking about the idea that the way that Hollywood has imagined these things will happen 
And like you've said, there are there are two scenarios here. There's either the utopic version where you know everything is great and we're in balance with the planet and and you know we don't need money and all that sort of thing i mean that that's that's one side of it and then there's the dystopian version which is like you've just described but there is a a middle ground on this and this is a thing called heterotopia okay which is very much the ridley scott blade runner look okay which I okay. am a big fan of. I think I think Ridley Scott got this absolutely right. You know, was it 40, 50, 40 years ago? You know, when or yeah. fifty years ago now? I think Blade Runner. For, no, forty years ago. Um, Don't say that. Oh, I know, I know. And I still, I was still watching it. I was watching it the other day. But the the world that he he imagined in Blade Runner was one where both people had the same things. Okay, the rich had houses and running water and pets and entertainment and the poor who were living in some kind of downtown Tokyo type um, scenario living on top of each other the poor had exactly the same things except they were all AI generated things they had AI pets heavily filtered water because it was you know some thermonuclear scum pond scum or something that they were that was filtered out for them to drink but it was still water and they were all eating noodles from god knows where they came from but the point the point was was that there was those are the ramen noodles we all ate in college sorry for talking over you well yes you're um yes yeah every everybody's everybody's eating eating noodles because they're, they're nice and cheap but the sort of ramen world i think is is something that we can all we can all subscribe to and and, and i that's where i think it's going to go is that i don't think it will go into utopia and i don't think it will be dystopia because there will always be pressure to to still create to have commerce running and people to buy those things it can't it won't just be the rich people rich people aren't a good market you know they're very very picky people no and and I was talking to someone else. I, I talk to so many people about this stuff these days. I, know, it's great. I was talking to someone about this on the, the economic side, and, and he made a really good point that, that money's only valuable when it's changing hands. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's, it doesn't help anybody if, it, if somebody just sits on it. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these rich people who just collect money to have it, and then it doesn't actually help anyone else, and it doesn't even help them because they don't use it. So Correct. it just sits and does nothing. And and he was talking about it in the context of what would a future tax system look like? And that was one of the ideas was to look at the, the use and the flow of money. So the more you sat on the money that you had, the more tax you paid on it. So if you actually <laughs> use it in commerce all the time, then you actually paid lower tax because it, it actually kept it moving through the economy instead of concentrating it in one place. And this was around the context of Apple having a trillion dollars in the bank or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, and it's like, that's it. great for them, but it doesn't help anyone else because they're just sitting on it and it's not doing anything. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. And I think that goes to your, what did you call it? Heterotopia or something? Heterotopia. Yeah, it is. A, it's an actual factual thing. I did my research on it and, uh, you know, I just think it's one of those one of those kind of nice midgrounds that, you know, it it's disastrous. I mean, it's not it's not something that, that we could look forward to, but 
we are still working, we are still living, we are still being entertained and all those sorts of things. But, you know, people are living in, um, you know, on on top of each other. I mean, that's the, because that's that's where all the that's where all the utilities are. Well, that's that's where we're going to that's where we're going to end up anyway. I think a lot of that's happening now. Mm. There's a I want to say and I'm sure someone will correct me on the stat, but it's something like in the UK, 70% of people live in urban areas already anyway. Right, yeah. So and, and you know, there are huge concentrations of people in urban areas and I think over time it's only going to get more so because you're going to have things like we're worried about the environment and everything else. So there's a there's a big push to get rid of personal vehicles because of the environmental impact. So that's going to push people into locations where they can be served better by public transportation and things like that and bus systems mm. and that, which means the people who live rurally are you are very much going to have farmers who live rurally, who grow food and do that sort of thing. And no one else is going to live out there because there aren't going to be any services and it's going to be hugely expensive if you're not a farmer. And so I could see where I'm kind of agreeing with you that I can see where that's going to happen over the next, I don't know what, 75, 80, hundred years yeah, where sure. people are, are very much just, they are going to by default move into these massive urban areas and it's going to be that, you know, that's the image of the big, almost like the big Chinese cities, right? Where you've got, you know, tower blocks where there's like 30,000 people living in one building, which is insane. But I could, I, I could see that. The interesting thing about it, though, David, is, is that this doesn't have, this is not as a result of AI, right? None of this yeah. is the result of AI. This is down to greed. Okay. This comes to one thing. Right, is the drive the, the greed underpins all of this argument, all of this discussion. Right, the reason that AI will become will proliferate no matter what is because of greed, and the reason that um, people will still have jobs is because of greed, and the reason that uh, people will live in urban areas and not have cars is because of greed. It will have nothing to do with anything else. And so I think, you know, this is just a symptom of the human condition that this is where we're naturally going anyway. And this, you know, there was nothing we could do was stop this. There's nothing we could do to stop it. It's just going to happen. And we just have to accept that and prepare for those sorts of things to happen. Adjust your lifestyle accordingly. You know, that's what you do. I'm secretly, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I still say it on my LinkedIn profile, but there's a, there's a, I'm about a 30% prepper. And, you know, I was kind of, I, I'm very aware of the fact that at any one, uh, any point, the power could go down or that, you know, that, that you're suddenly left without, without water, without clean drinking water or stuff like that. And so I think it's important that people have those kind of, skills to be able to navigate and to cope those cope with those kind of conditions i mean you live on a farm right so that i mean that's that's absolutely yep. fantastic i mean i would love yep. to live on a farm because you've got all the all the all the the resources there to be able to run a an off-grid life and i think that we need to have the skills to be able to do off-grid as well as on-grid and then be able to switch between the two look at what's happening in south africa Right. South Africa is a fantastic model to look at because you have very, very wealthy people who are 
able to 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 live through power outages because they've got they've got solar panels and battery storage for for, for power but then you have the 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 sort of the working class people aren't able to do that they don't have those resources so they're having to sort of model their life around it they're having to make changes to their life to cope with the fact that the stores aren't open between this hour and this hour and that the power cycles on cycles off and the that they can do things when the power's on they can't do things when the power's off so they adjust their lives accordingly so i think the 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 great thing about humans is that we are capable of learning other ways to do things we just get very scared by the thought of change but as with as the pandemic demonstrated and lockdowns when that thing happens we're actually pretty good at handling it we i don't think we have enough faith in ourselves to be able to do these things 100% and when i was talking to Jeb this morning he he's, he made a comment that if the internet went down that that would be the end of civilization and humans and i said you do realize that I grew up in the 70s before there were computers and that everybody got on just fine. And he said, yeah, but there would be no way, like no one could get food and you wouldn't have any food in any of the grocery stores. And I said, but you do realize that they would just work that out, right? Like the whole world used to run that way. And and, and I'm not I, I'm, I'm not being funny, but it's it's like he couldn't even conceive of a world where there wasn't an internet. And I'm like, there's loads of people that were alive before there was an internet. Like we could tell everybody how to do it. And he said, yeah, but how would a delivery driver know where to go? And I said, they'd use a map like yeah. we used to use. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he genuinely couldn't get his head around how that a world might work without the internet. And I was kind of like, okay, have we literally in 30 years, we've completely forgot all of human history up until this point, and we think that no one could possibly survive. It's with, a you know, sorry. The tools. It's a sorry state of affairs, isn't it? When millennials and Gen Z are looking to us, the Gen Xers, for for answers when in a grid down situation. That's terrifying. You know, most of us are <laughs> like, we're not going to help anyone. Yeah, read a comic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, just but, be like, what? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Get we, on with we, it. You'll be fine. We were brought up with TV and adverts and three channels and stuff like that. You know, we won't even have that. I think it's important that, you know, we, we do have faith in ourselves to be able to do it. But there are very few resources around that give people – I mean, I'm a big YouTube addict. So, I mean, I, I follow a lot of people on YouTube who – because uh, I'm I'm also a, uh, a a vegan as well, so and a chef or a, or a cook, not chef. <laughs> How pretentious of me! I'm a cook, and I like to try vegan recipes. I like to try new vegan recipes, but I've had to deprogram my my carnivorous recipe head, and I've had to deprogram it and turn it into a vegan recipe head. And it took three months. It took three months to relearn things to know that you you can't fry things in oil you can't cook anything in oil that you can you know that that vegetables taste taste great when they're they're just blanched in you know just blanched in water and all that sort of stuff that there are new ways of doing things there are loads of ways of doing things but if you watch youtube it's a phenomenal resource of the human knowledge 
you know, of, of lots of people saying how you can survive in a grid down situation or how you can find alternative, you know, grow your own food or find alternative sources of power. There are ways to do it. We just have, we, we have to learn how to learn again. That was profound. It was. I like it. That'll be a that, clip for sure. That was definitely <laughs> profound. That's clippable. You can put that through your AI. Stick That's that in your AI. AI. <laughs> Excellent. I'm conscious of time because we're we're like 55 minutes in already, and uh, it doesn't seem you that haven't long asked any of the questions you wanted to ask me. I haven't asked any of the questions other than other than I actually have another um, Bauhaus other than question. What about for Bauhaus? You. Yeah, I have one more since it it's relevant to to what we're talking about at the move at the minute. So this one is as a student of self-survival, how do you see the Bauhaus principle of form following function apply to AI and its potential role in your lifestyle and approach to business? What is its fascination with but oh because because you got asked it for questions that had you know Bauhaus what? related to Bauhaus. Because <laughs> that was my that's my safe word, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's my safe word on the on the LinkedIn profile. I was wondering because <laughs> yeah, you said if you if you send me a connection request, work in the word Bauhaus. Okay. So I thought it would be hilarious to create a whole list of questions. That All right, so it, it scraped my LinkedIn profile. Okay, the first mistake it made is that I'm not <laughs> referring to the art movement. I'm referring to the 1980s band with Pete Murphy. All right, interesting. Okay, that was that was the reason. Was uh, I still think you know that's us still think that uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead is one of the best uh, one of the best singles out there so i think how it applies to for, in terms of form over function i'm very much i mean if you have a look at our product the advertist which is a, a database for for oh, how about this for a plug um, if you have a look at our database the the advertist which which helps companies helps agencies find their new clients you'll see it's definitely a triumph of function uh, form over function all right in that uh, sorry function over form in that it is very stripped down and it's stripped down for a reason because we need it to be able to work as fast and efficiently as possible it's a database so and this this was a lesson that i learned because when we first started it i wanted all the bells and whistles i wanted it to look good i come from a you know we appeal to design agencies i wanted it to look great and i wanted flashing lights and buzzers and bells and buttons and bows and everything else like that but that was all dragging it down in terms of its performance as soon as we stripped it away and said okay what is it supposed to do let it do that really well that is fantastic. So as far as AI is concerned, it's a question of being so precise that you want it just to do the one thing. You you know, if you want, I think that Mo Gordat, who I quoted, the, the, the guy from, from, from ex-Google, who was talking about how they, they, uh, the, the AIs picked up, they were, they were learning over a weekend how to pick up a ball and from a thing because they were basically saying that machines generally if they're a millimeter out can't do the job that you want them to do but these ai were able to to pick up things to move to pick things up and they were failing and failing and failing and then one day one of them got it and then by the end of the weekend all of these machines had it right but they were doing one thing and doing it really well and doing it efficiently and i think that is the beauty of what we're looking at here with ai is that we can actually ask it to do the simple things really well so that we don't need to worry about those things that's my hope i like it that's a good positive 
good positive view to mm. um to end the discussion on. Right. I don't have a set of questions. I know you have a set of questions that you like to ask people at the end of your podcast. I haven't uh, I haven't sufficiently developed my podcasting routine yet to uh, to come oh, up but- with any questions for for people. But I do remember one of your ones is what what outro music would you like? So I might ask you that if you have some outro music, a song that you would like, and I will put some in specially for you. Perfect. Well, uh, uh, do you know it's it's funny that because uh, and so I ask that question of so many people, and and the the most common answer I get is it depends on what's happening or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. But if I was to today, if I was to pick up a, because I'm wearing headphones and because it just sounds so beautiful on headphones, I would pick David Bowie's sound and vision because nice. it's appropriate to everything that we're so, we're talking about. And plus electric blue, that's the color of my room. Okay. Yeah. Where I will live. I will work that in for you at the end of the podcast. Just and just make sure you don't get done for copyright. Exactly. I'll figure out. How, I, if anyone hears it, it, you'll have to hum it. If anyone hears it, it'll be great. <laughs> if not, just imagine it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, can, I was I can thinking play it for you I'll, on the guitar or something, and maybe maybe a different day. I'll, I'll play it for you on the guitar. That'll be good. So when I listen, I listen to your conversation with Matt Smith. Yes. Which I thought was really interesting because I did go and do a bit of research and I'd listened to a few of your podcasts a long time ago. And then I went back and was looking for some stuff because I wanted to just kind of do a bit of research and, and listen. And I saw Matt because I I did some amateur photography when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I found some of the stuff that he said really, really interesting. His photography skills are just amazing. I mean, he, he's a great photographer, absolutely fantastic photographer. And I mean, he's, he, he, the 360 photography for, uh, for e-commerce is it, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. We, 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 he has to engineer a solution for each and every product. It's just incredible to watch him work, but even he has, you know, basically, you know, is, is of the mind that at some point soon, the, the, the art of photography for weddings and for, you know, for just um, headshots and stuff like that, it's going to be extremely, you know, limited. And and that's the sort of thing that AI can take over. What what it can't do is what he does, right, which is find a solution, find a way for that to be able to do without rendering it. I mean, he's actually taking proper actual factual photographs of products and then having them spin in front of the camera or having the camera spin in, in front of it and not rendering them through, you know, through, through AI or anything else like that. He's, mm-hmm. he's not computer generating these things. These are right. actual products. So I think, you know, that, and he's a very interesting fella, if you can get him to shut up. So he, so he makes a good, he makes a good guest on a podcast. Just wind him up and let him go. Yeah. Just wind him up and let him go. He's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. He's very passionate about his, about his uh, craft as well. Was he the one that was talking about using an AI tool to um, sift through like wedding photography so that you could literally, you could take all the, like the shots from the day, because that's the hardest part. Like if you have an event or something like that, particularly with digital photography, I mean, I used to use film, so you were much more controlled. Um, You'd still use a lot of film, but you were still much more controlled than you are now. Now you just take unlimited shots and 
was it him that was talking about using an AI tool to find the good shots from the bad? So it could do the first pass and it could say, well, this one's out of focus, so it can be ruled out yes. immediately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this one's blurry and this one's, you know, moving or whatever. And it could literally go through and just ring fence all the ones that are terrible and say, okay, those are bad. And then it could go through and it, it could learn your style. So it could learn what you think are good photos. And that's something a machine learning algorithm could do really, really quickly. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, and it could pull out the, the 50 best photos from the day. And literally you could show it to the couple before the end of the evening. But here's the clever part, all right? And this is this is the, the 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 twist that we need to apply to all this. Yes, that is the case. Yes, it will pull up the exact requirements that you want. But creativity mm -hmm. is being able to look at a photograph that is blurry and go, that is great. Yeah. There's something good about that. There's something fantastic. And that is the human element that's able to look at it and go, but you can see them laughing, smiling so naturally. And that is something that AI wouldn't do. All right. So I think there is, there's always going to be that kind of that human intervention on that photograph that's able to go, actually, even though everything is wrong about that, the lighting's bad the um you know the the subject's half out of the out of the shot whatever it's still a good shot it's still a good photograph and so i think there is and that that is a human condition that's a human ability mm. to be able to look at it and go that is art that is still art yeah but that's something you could do in the later stages when you're actually pulling the rest of it together yeah but it might have already okay. it must not that. have been that's him it must have been someone else was it, was it not him that said that? I really thought it was him, but it must have been somebody else that I was listening to talking about a similar type thing. But it was, it, it's about the quickness of it and to be able to do it and, um, you know, really fast. And again, it's, you know, quick decision making and it's pulling out and we go, look, these are ones that are traditionally would be the really good ones. And then we may find some really artistic ones later, but we'll look at that. And then that's where the, you're right, that's where the human comes into it for now. But again, now. if you train it enough on those artistic ones as well, then it will find the artistic ones that it thinks are good. And then you can, you know, I bet it would be really good at it. <laughs> anyway. Well, you would say <laughs> that, a, wouldn't you? Because that's, that's, the, whole, that's the title of your show. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's the that's the. Otherwise, it would thing. be called Photographers Without AI. <laughs> yeah. Or, or AI photography or something. I don't know yeah, what it's exactly. going to be. I don't know whether I'll keep any of this, but um, it's been fun talking about it anyway. <laughs> and to you, David, as well. I really appreciate it as well. And you have to, I have to return the favor. You have to come on and yeah, please uh, do. Let, let, let me take some jabs at you. Yeah, I'd love it. That'd be great. All right. I'd love to. So yeah, hey, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic conversation. And um, yeah, let me know. You're, you're, you have a platform anytime you want. So if you feel like something happens and you want to come on and have a rant or anything like that, you're more than welcome to come back. Well, I, I appreciate you giving me the, uh, the space to vent and, uh, and it's good. And, uh, um, thank you very much. Best of luck with the podcast. I think it's, I, th I think you're doing a fantastic job. And, um, the irony of the fact that we have an American in the UK <laughs> and a exactly. British person in the US. And funnily enough, David, where you're living, right, is about seven miles from where I used to live. Wow. Okay. So there you go. And I, I so I, I think it's uh, it's fantastic. I know Tunbridge Wells very well. You know. Okay. Nice. But um, 
So anyway, um, yes, I'll see you later. All right. Thanks, Keith. Bye-bye. Take care, mate. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.